Hello, welcome back to Lost and Drunk. I'm Aaron, and we're back with another very special episode this week. We are talking to the one and only Mark Pellegrino, who, of course, brought Jacob to life. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, how's the weather where, where you're at? I have to ask everyone I interview what the weather's like. It's California, so it's sunny and cloudless uh, and a little bit of a Santa Ana wind going. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. It's um, it's kind of uh, it's been pretty cold in in. So I'm in the southwest of the UK, mm-hmm. in a, a city called Bristol, and uh, it's been pretty chilly the past uh, few weeks. But yeah, it seems to have warmed up a bit now. So the heating bill is coming down a little bit, you know. <laughs> Good. So um, how's your uh, how's your January been in terms of uh acting and just bits and pieces yeah pretty good i'm i'm working on a show called class of 09 for fx i'm playing a recurring character in there um it's a a very interesting show so i'd Mm -hmm. I'd like to see if it uh if it takes off although i'm not sure if it's going to be a series or a limited run series so this Uh this might be the only season they have i'm i'm not sure um so that's good since my uh my other show american rust I did not get picked up for a season two on Showtime. A little disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. such great people in the show, and I think it had such great potential. Um, You know, but these things happen. Mm. It's the way of the industry, I suppose. It's just one of those things, right? Such as life. Maybe if we're really lucky, Netflix will pick us up and give us a a second life the way they've done to so many shows. Absolutely. What, What network is it on? Showtime. Showtime. Okay, cool. So check it out. You can see season one, the one and only season. And the one I, only season. I think I think you'll like it. There's great people in it. Sure, absolutely. I'll check that out. Yeah, yeah. cool. So um, uh, to start the 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 interview off, I just want to remind uh, uh, any listeners that there will be series spoilers uh, for Lost. Um, naturally, your character appeared quite late in the show. So if anyone hasn't seen those and is listening to this, maybe now's not the time to. Uh, to to keep listening maybe check out for a little bit but um yeah to start with just a bit about yourself like uh, what drew you uh, towards acting as a as a career um chance happenstance um i completely stumbled into it. it it wasn't something i wanted to do from the time i was a kid from the time i was a kid i wanted to be a marine biologist wow um and then when i got to college that interest changed a little bit to history and psychology history became my major in in college um, but because of a, a, a glitch in the collegiate system, uh, where you get, uh, you get all the classes you want in the first, uh, couple of quarters because you're a freshman, but after that you get pushed back into the line. And mm-hmm. as a freshman, you get pushed back to the end of a very long line of 35,000 students and you can't get any of the, um, classes you want. Because of that glitch, I got I took a couple classes that I hated. I dropped out and um, fell in love with this crazy girl. Um, just worked, sang in a band, and um, went out with this crazy person <laughs> for a while. And after a few months of this, you know, looked at myself and wondered what the heck I was going to do with my life. I was 18 and a half. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is the time uh, when you become a legal adult and you have to start figuring out what you want to do. And um, school was uh, not the answer at the time. Um, so I, I, I saw an ad for a, a modeling school called John Robert Powers. They were offering classes for free. I said, hey, why don't I try modeling? I mean, I'm not the best looking guy in the world, but maybe I could do something like that. And uh, and that school was offering a free commercial workshop class, which I took. And the, the teacher of that class 
a, uh, a pretty good commercial actor and soap opera actor by the name of Bob Hover introduced me to an agent because he thought I wow. had some talent. And uh, that agent started me off in the business and introduced me to uh, the school that eventually became my theater company that I ended up teaching at, studying at, doing plays at, and, and returning home to every time uh, I would work. I'd go back to my theater company and teach and act and keep keep my uh, my muscles toned, so to speak. And and that's where I discovered the craft of acting. And and then later on, a love for film when I, you know, married my wife and she introduced me to the French New Wave and and to the value of film. It's funny that mm -hmm. as an actor, I didn't take film very seriously. And I I was never my life was never changed by films. My life was changed by books. Mm -hmm. Certainly, but not by film. So I, I never considered it a, a, a very important medium until probably 10 or 15 years ago. So um, I came into the business by accident and I've been growing into it by fits and starts over the past 30 some odd years. Cool. Yeah, it's it's funny how um there's been a few a few um people I've talked to for the, for the podcast and they have also said that kind of falling into acting was an accident as well. So it's funny how that seems to go. It seems to be quite a common common thing. It's not even really my primary interest. Uh, I, I love the technique. I love acting. I love working with students more mm -hmm. than more than even acting. Um, my my primary interests are in other areas. So mm -hmm. I, I do acting to keep the the lights on and bread and onions on the table, and and then I pursue other things, um, which interest me more. Oh, interesting. What kind of other things do you do you uh, do you find interesting? Um, I probably should have gotten a degree in political science because I'm very interested in political systems, uh, mm -hmm. very interested in certain types of philosophy, uh, so certain systems of thinking mm -hmm. I, I really, really like, and uh, history. Oh, so, wow. yeah, yeah. So I pursue that, and, and I, I, I've decided to inject myself into the cultural conversation, the ongoing cultural conversation, which can be difficult at times now by producing little philosophical segments I call reality checks. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I write these, uh, I script them and uh, recommend edits and give it to this brilliant little editor and and uh, and they produce these, I think, great little three minute uh, spots on controversial topics. Well, they shouldn't okay. be controversial, but they, they are controversial today. Wow, that's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And, and it sounds similar to uh kind of fitting that you played a character who was sort of like philosophically entangled in the plot of, of Lost, actually, in the way you're just describing that. Um, yes. So did, did you follow the show outside of your episodes? Like, were you a fan or were you, you know, were you aware of it? What was your your sort of experience going into acting on the show and then coming out of it? Did you watch it after? What, what was that like? So I, I hadn't watched the series uh, going into it. Um, when my wife heard that I was up for the part, um, she even had to convince me to go out for it because, mm. uh, not because I, I had anything against the show, but I had four auditions that day and, and, and the scene they wanted me to audition was about seven pages long. It was dialogue intensive. I just didn't think I would have the time to invest in it. And I didn't want to, uh, leave April Webster, great casting director, um, mm -hmm. with bad and bad impression of me. Sure. Uh, but my wife uh, said, look, um, you're crazy if you don't do it. It's the biggest show on television. It's amazing. Do it or, uh, or leave the house. 
uh, <laughs> permanently. So um, I actually did it, and um, I didn't hear anything for about two or three weeks. And I, I did. I, I knew I did a very good job, but you know, that doesn't quite matter. You could you could be the best actor in the room. It doesn't necessarily mean the alchemy is going to work for the mm -hmm. show. Cool. And so I I gave up thinking that I got the show when they called me and said I was I was going to be traveling to Hawaii. Mm. And I didn't even know the name of the character uh, um, because they they put out sides that were different than the um, than what ends up in the show because of mm -hmm. the the intense fan desire for spoilers. Um, sure, I do remember that actually. I remember the, the the sides leaking online, and it was I don't know who your character would have been. I think uh, tied as well as his character was Samuel in in, in the side, the initial leak script. Something that. like that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, yeah. something like that. That's funny. I mean, not funny. I mean, they they yeah. they took that stuff very seriously. I, I remember being on the set, being on the set one day when an extra uh, had had given away some little plot tidbit, and they went yeah. after him pretty hard. So really, yeah. um, it's like it was like crossing, you know, Tony Soprano. You didn't want to sure. do that. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I didn't even know what part it was until I landed and met Michael Emerson on the set. And he said, oh, you're our Jacob. Mm -hmm. um, my wife suspected that was a part. Now, she saw every single episode. I didn't see any. And I, cool. still, I still haven't gotten to it yet. Um, I plan to because I know it's good television. Mm. Um, and the way they filmed it was so cinematic. They, they spent, you know, I'd say two or three weeks on each episode, particularly the finale. They had two mm -hmm. crews going all the time for three weeks on the finale. So they made it cinematic as heck. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I, I was really, really wowed by, by your uh, performance in the show. And it would, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't think I'd seen you in anything before then, or if I had, it was probably uh, The Big Lebowski, but I don't think I knew who you were. And then, so when I was watching it, it wasn't you that I knew then. It was it was just the character of Jacob. But then afterwards, because for me, Jacob was a big... It, the, the mystery of Jacob more than the character was my favourite part of that show before you turned up. <clears throat> so, like, watching watching you in it, I then started to, you know, pay attention to your name, and I, w I would be able to go, oh, Mark's in this, Mark's in this, Mark's in this. So, yeah, you really made a good impression on me. So, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for of saying course. that. Yeah. Um, so once you came onto the show, because it had been, you know, it had been, it was the fi uh, season five finale. It was quite close to the end. What was the, the vibe like on set? Was it kind of a, a family vibe with all the crew and cast or, or what was your experience sort of coming in as an outsider uh, to that? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's always a weird thing coming into a show that's been going on for a long time and has established its timing with all of the characters and the crew and, they all know one another very well, and here you are, the stranger stepping onto the, the scene for the first time. And um, I don't know that it was a family atmosphere, but they certainly were all comfortable with each other, and the the actors uh, were all very kind and uh, generous with me. Mm -hmm. um, and they seemed to like each other. There was there was no sense of um, conflict between anybody in that massive cast and you know there could be there could be egos that rub up against each other and i didn't see any evidence of that while i was there so mm -hmm. they made my 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 stay very pleasant and you know i worked with nestor carbonell in, in an episode that i think was a very powerful episode and he's just such a good guy such mm -hmm. a a nice person i've known him for a long time and we happened to study this place that i told you about playhouse uh -huh. west my theater company was also um 
uh, in his life for a while. He studied with my mentor. Oh wow! Uh, for a time, and and it shows. He's so he's so good, um, and athletic too. You know, so, mm. I, I don't want to say surprisingly athletic because he's he's lithe, you know, and slim. But it, when you see him in his work clothes, he doesn't strike you as an athlete, but he can do just about anything. Um, mm-hmm. And that's impressive to me, you know, because I'm a a big lumbering sort of former athlete. So when I see somebody who can who can still pull it off, uh, I'm impressed. Cool. Well, yeah. So Jacob obviously was killed in his first appearance. But when when you were cast in that initial episode, did you have any idea that you'd be coming back for the following season? Did you have any uh, sort of inkling that you might because it was kind of a supernatural aspect to your character or were you completely in the dark about it? I don't remember. Um, I I I think they um, might have a lot of times when you're a recurring character, they'll say you have like a six or seven episode arc mm-hmm. um, as a selling point, you know, and um, so they might have said something like that. So I I knew that I was going to be in future episodes because I hadn't done all of my episodes yet. Sure. Um, but I was I was mostly in the dark with respect to the story. I mean, I got the story as it as it came to me and the most direction I ever got was from Jack Bender who came up to me when I was in the scene with young Kate and he said, that's it. That's it. Jesus, the carpenter. Hmm. And he didn't, he didn't know it at the time, but that particular analogy, character analogy meant a great deal to me. Hmm. Um, And so I, I I tried to make that, that impression a part of my, of my character. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So uh, how much of the script informed the way that uh, Jacob was portrayed or uh, versus like what you brought to to his character? Was there like room for kind of like tonal uh, improv, I guess you could say? Or was it very sort of did the script have it nailed down? Like how much did you um, read from the script versus what was literally uh, on the page? If if that makes any sense. I'm not sure if I've explained it very well. Yeah. Like how much interpretive latitude do do you have? Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like um, that is an interesting question, it's, and it's a hard one to answer because I feel like, um, you know, when they cast you, they just they sort of the interpretive latitude comes with your physical being, right? They've mm. they've decided that you um, you're going to set the template for the character, and you know, we give you the words to say and the situation, but how you do it is is yours. That's why you know Jack didn't talk too much. Um, and I think good directors don't talk too much uh, during sure. performance unless they feel tonally that it's off. Um, they're trusting you to bring that degree of interpretation to it that they think is is appropriate. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not it wasn't it wasn't a script that you could freely improvise. It's not like Murderville. I don't know if you've ever watched Murderville. No, I have. I have heard of it. I haven't seen it. Though. Oh, my God. It's it's hysterical. Well, they bring they bring uh, they bring actors on um, to solve crimes with this mm-hmm. character. Um, and uh, it's it's completely improvised. Um, and so there's a wide degree of latitude. You know, every sure. character is, is very much dependent on how well he or she can can do that kind of thing but this isn't the case with with lost lost you have the bible the script you know that damon lindelof uh and carlton cuse have spent some time on and Mm. um they're quite good at what they do so it you're going to be hard pressed to improvise it better than they've written it so it's it's best to use that map and follow it as best you can 
It was it was it was interesting uh, the way that I think that as as a fan like like I said earlier that like Jacob was a big deal f- for me as as a fan watching it come when 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 he came into the show when you came into the show because initially it's it, it's very sort of like all knowing and like godly almost because you know you see from that opening scene that he's been on the island for a lot longer than 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 the rest of the people and he sort of has this rivalry with his with his brother and but when 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 you sort of see more of his story in the in the last season it kind of paints him a bit more as like a, a child who's kind of bored and doesn't really know what he's doing. Would that? Would you agree with that, or would you? What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I would say of the two brothers, the man in black was the one who was thinking outside the box, mm. um, and Jacob was following the rules. Sure. And there's there is something to following the rules or the letter of the law that makes one, I think a lot more emotionally immature and innocent in a way mm-hmm. as opposed to as opposed to the man in black's um desire to break out to know to consume the world to be a part of the world his his curiosity um you know there's no curiosity in a fanatic right mm-hmm. i mean J- jacob's mother was a fanatic and jacob sort of uh, was a fruit that didn't fall too far from the tree. He, mm-hmm. he had the same kind of uh, devotion to his task that his mother did. Um, yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, I think he there was a childlike, there was a childlike essence to Jacob. Yeah, for, for sure. Absolutely. And I, I also find it interesting that, like, if if I'm remembering correctly, the the week that the your first episode premiered um was the same week or maybe around the same time that you played a quite a pivotal role in supernatural as well yes i was doing both parts simultaneously so i was was playing the devil in supernatural and um you know a a god like jesus-esque figure in lost um so i would film and you know an episode of lost then fly from um from hawaii to vancouver Mm. to shoot episodes of supernatural um and it it wasn't troubling people wonder how you can play polar opposites (laughs) and um and keep your sanity but um for some reason it it was it was an interesting complement to each other it wasn't something that i felt um made me feel conflict in any way for sure i wonder if it was almost like Perhaps it was an easy. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't act, so like I, I don't know. But maybe it was an easier thing that it was such a polar opposite because maybe you had like the, the this sort of like perspective of one character, and it was almost like you could flip it to the other way. I don't know if that makes again any sense. But... Well, maybe what made it so easier is that both both um, stories even were about humans, even even though and human problems, even even though the characters were huge. Mm. And um, like um, surreal, broad, like archetypal um, beings, um, their problems were very much uh, down to earth issues that anybody could understand. The mm. devil, the devil's problem was a, was one of family and a broken family and being alienated uh, from a family and wanting revenge. And I think that's something that lots of people can relate to a, a distant father who doesn't relate to you, a, a brother who abuses you. I mean, all of those things are, 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 are immediate to any mm. human being. And, and the same with, with, uh, with Jacob, you know, his, his conflict with his brother 
not wanting to get on the same page as him and do his duty, um, the, the thing that he owes his, his mother and, and their job and um, family loyalties and and um, and argue, arguments and conflicts are, uh, you know, all a part of life that we understand. So I think that that the base of both of those shows had that to it made made it an easy transition absolutely and i guess uh, I, I never thought about it that way but that that kind of explains why both of them were, were as popular as they were because they did appeal to those uh sort of basic family instincts of of, of anybody i think so i think so i think so yeah for sure cool um so do you have a like a favorite memory from your time on the show i know you weren't there for like a super long time but i just wondered if there was anything specifically that you really you really remember well you know my my favorite times were were um were hanging out with Titus at PF Chang's, uh, drinking wine there in Waikiki, eating good Chinese food, and uh, and listening to him regale me with stories. And Titus is a very good storyteller, and he's a fantastic mimic. If you ever do an interview with him, ask him to do his uh, his stages of Al Pacino. Um, okay. he'll, he'll blow you away. They're perfect. They're perfect, and he does a a perfect Christopher Walken as well. Really? Yeah, and and uh, you know he's he's just a great storyteller too. So uh, we would sit there for hours and hours, close the place down, uh, <laughs> walk home tipsy. I don't drink anymore, but at the time, you know, it was definitely something to do on the island, and um, and he made he made staying on the island fun. Awesome stuff. Well, my next question was going to be, how did you find working in Hawaii? I guess you touched on it a bit there, but yeah, I mean, there are worse places to work. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who was doing a show at the same time, started, uh, the same year that I started with Jacob and, um, he, he hated working in Hawaii. He had Island fever, like mad from mm -hmm. the second he landed. He, I can't understand that. The place is paradise. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, you know, it's the Island's big enough to, to, so that you don't feel like you're, you know, trapped in the middle of the ocean absolutely um and there's lots of stuff to do and the stuff is cool you know if you dive or snorkel or surf hike um or even just want to go out on the town there's just lots of things to do there to to uh fill your day and you know right outside your hotel you can just go sit on the beach and read a book if that's if that's your thing and watch turquoise waves wash over like powder powdery white fluorescent pearlescent sand it's it, it feels like powdered sugar on your feet it's it's great yeah. man yeah absolutely I, i'm lucky enough to have been um to oahu a couple of times uh embarrassingly like maybe 90 percent because of my interest in in lost but it's also like a case of like well why wouldn't without that like why would you not want to go to hawaii you know so like i, I went with my parents like about 10 years ago and I was like, oh, cool, I can like see all the lost sites and stuff. And then I went there and I was like, this is like, like you say, it is a paradise. Like, And I really love the U.S. and being in the U.S. And I, I you know, I love Chili's, the restaurant, which is kind of a silly thing to love. <laughs> but like, it, and you can get, you know, go to Hawaii and, and you can eat at Chili's and then you can go hiking. And that's something that like appeals to me so much. So I, I've really, really loved going there. And I can totally see what you mean. You can just... One of some of my favorite memories of me and my wife just going going for for a drive and... and and just like, can you believe that this is where, like, you know, we are? We we saved up for all this time to come here, and we're just on the other side of the world, and it is the paradise. You're you're totally right. It's great. And how did you do driving on the other side of the street? 
it's funny actually I was talking to my friend about it earlier today because I was really worked up about it beforehand but with uh-huh. most things in my life I tend to be more nervous about it something happening than actually when it happens I'm like oh this is fine like I always get worked up about it and yeah it, it was okay it was a bit weird and because like in the UK most of our cars are a manual like gear uh, yeah. shift uh-huh. so there was I was like oh I wonder if I'll instinctively like reach into the window because obviously we're on the other side of the car as well but i think i did that once and apart from that i was like this is yeah this is fine but we're going to orlando uh, in a couple of months and i'm a little bit more nervous just because it's like a city it's i mean i, I drove through waikiki as well but i feel like you know florida is, is a different ball game and you know the, the island hawaii has that whole whole like the island attitude it's very like laid back and i felt quite comfortable going driving to, up to the north shore and stuff like that it was that was nice so We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. In Hawaii, everybody's driving about 15 miles per hour slower than they do in the States. So you will find faster drivers in Orlando, but wide streets. So you have a lot of space to make mistakes there. Very good point. And, Thank you for, uh, and, yeah. and, I, and I have the reverse, you know, experience, not reverse as in the opposite experience, but I have gone to Ireland a couple of times. And mm. both times, first time we, we flew into um, Dublin, second time, uh, cork and both times we took a car and drove all around the south of the island to galway and then Mm -hmm. across so and i had stick shift too on the other side and you're right you um you acclimate to it pretty fast yeah uh, even though it's a little scary at first because the roads in ireland are narrow and the roads in england are are narrower than than in the states too so you don't have a lot of room for error yeah, that I was I, me and my friend were talking about this years ago because um, obviously like the the UK has like this quite like ancient history like you can trace you know I can I went to a pub the other day that's like five hundred years old and that's kind of not abnormal and because of that the road system in the UK is insane because there's just like they just have to build all around this stuff that's been there for so long whereas in the US because obviously it's a younger country everything is in a much more logical easy to follow the grid system majoritively right. so yeah I do feel I do feel sorry for you guys who do come over over here and they're just like what where where am I supposed to go because I get it in my own city I'm like what what's this road what, what, what do I do here I don't understand I can't imagine driving in London that would be a, a madhouse it's i've done it a few times it is uh so the first time i did it was probably like six months after i passed my test and my like gps that i was using it has it had this feature on where you could turn off like tolling areas so uh, like tolling roads through the city and because there's like the center of london has a congestion charge so if you go in there you have to pay like 15 pounds for the day or whatever like that um oh and i switched God. it off yeah it's just to get people away from from there and they've sort of extended it ra- like even further to to be like another like ultra low emission zone so if your car's older than like 15 20 years you have to pay to get in that zone as well so they're truly really, really trying to keep people out of the city um but yeah i this was like 10 years ago now but i i, I switched that option off in the gps and um I guess it just decided to switch it back on because it, it brought me right through Piccadilly Circus at um, rush hour. Like it was like five o'clock on a Friday. Oh my lord! So it was terrifying for like a you know a newly a new driver of about nineteen years old, and I was on my own as well. But at the same time, it was kind of like that, that trial by fire thing where like after that, I was like, yeah, I can drive in London. I've driven in London like in the worst possible circumstances, so I can absolutely do it again. I feel like that has got to be one of the hardest places to drive in the world. You reckon? I think I, I've driven all over the world except London. I've, mm. you know, I've, I've driven in Paris. I've driven in Crete. I've dri- uh, I haven't driven in Rome, but I've I've been driven in Rome, and that is a highly unpleasant experience. 
Um, and uh, I think I've driven to North Africa, South Africa, and um, it's London that freaks me out the most. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. My, my, I think my, my dad, the only place he's ever really talked about, like he's driven in Paris and also probably he must have driven in Crete as well. Uh, he has driven in Rome. But the only time I've ever heard him like say anything was LA. He was like, because he was like the freeways like nine lanes each side, and he was like, I, like he could do it, but he was just kind of like a bit boggled of where where to go because there was so much road to be on that he wasn't sure he was in the right place. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, cool. So, do you mind if we talk a little bit about your role on Dexter? No, not at all. Cool. Um, so it, I've actually only recently watched it because my wife is my wife's favorite show, mm-hmm. and um, we um, I, I'd never seen it. I kind of knew about the controversy of the ending and stuff, but I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, but we 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 sort of rewatched it uh, during the summer last year in preparation for the for the the revival that that, that finished a couple of, well a week or a, a month or so ago. Um, but it was was Dexter something that you uh, that you followed outside your role, or was it another one of those lost things where you kind of got the audition and and, and went in and did your job? Yeah, originally I I think I read the pilot script, and they wanted me to go up for this uh, little part in the pilot. I said, uh, I won't go for that part, but I'll go up for Dexter. Hmm. Um, and of course, that was already offered to Michael C. Hall at that point, I think. And I, I do remember reading the script and saying to myself, uh, this is an extremely well-written script. This is going to be a hit show. And telling my wife, if it's a hit, it's the end of Western civilization as we know it. And she and she and she agreed with me. <laughs> um, the reason I say that <laughs> is because, you know, um, serial killers in reality are the lowest form of life there is. They're, they're deeply psychotic sexual predators, um, and pretty much everything about them is dysfunctional and ugly. And and this show made one attractive. Not that there aren't attractive some. Serial killers use their physical attractive attractiveness to, you know, prey on other people. But this one made it appealing because he was a guy who followed a code. Now, that was the thing I liked about it. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is this is good in the general sense, because it shows that you're not necessarily um, commanded by your impulses, Mm -hmm. um, which they would say which I think Dexter would think were, was his nature, his actual nature. You can you can subvert it, subordinate it to, to a rule, to something higher than your impulse. And that's the part of it I really liked, is that he tried to live by a code, and he, mm-hmm. tried, to, he tried to channel this tremendously evil uh, compulsion to, quote-unquote, something good. And so I had lots to think about the, the, the pilot episode, and then later on they brought me in for the part of Rita's estranged husband and i remember the audition i remember going to sunset studios and and doing a fun fun audition and paul you know paul is a is not a nice guy Mm. but it it was fun playing that part um because again i didn't look at it as you know the the foil for dexter the bad guy looked at as the guy who made mistakes who was trying to rectify those mistakes he was trying to do the right thing and there was a now a man in the picture, which is extremely unhealthy for kids, you know, to bring a new guy into the picture with the fathers there. It's extremely destructive. And so you have a, a man who had sinned and, 
and at, attempting to make things good again, to, to make his family whole again. And there's this person interfering with that. So I found myself to be on the side of the good, mm-hmm. you know, um, even though it's written in such a way that, you know, I'm, I'm making very bad adjustments. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to push myself onto Rita and force myself into the family and, mm-hmm. and uh, not being very considerate to her needs and sensitivities and real fear of me, um, you know, and, uh, but that's the script, you know, I'm trying to do the virtuous thing and the, the script and the words of the script are telling us a different story. Sure. Did you watch the, the show after, after you were on it or was it, was it, uh, kind of just one and done? I didn't, I didn't. Um, I heard that the show was, the, the series was great until about season four. And then I heard it sort of goes in weird directions. Is that true? Um, if you asked anyone else, they would probably say yes. But I, so I, I, as I said, I only watched it last year and I was very prepared for, for it to drop off in quality at season four or five, especially to maybe hate the ending. And it was, uh, it was kind of a, it felt like the end of lost situation where like, I love the ending of lost. And I really, I felt like I understood what, what the, Damon and Carlton were going for and I, I really appreciate it and to this day I will I, I you know I, I I do defend it I try not to get involved in internet arguments anymore because I think it's it's always been pointless but I'm at that point in my life where it's like you know I've I've been like on the side of, of lost sending like for a while but yeah so I was expecting I don't know if I was expecting to dislike the ending of Dexter but I wasn't expecting it to like it as much as I did uh, I thought it was like thematically quite um it fit what had come before it and I did enjoy a lot of I could see that the writing had changed a bit season seven and eight but I still enjoyed them just as much and I liked them more than some maybe some of the earlier seasons which I think is kind of a controversial thing to say in the in in the fan community but yeah and it's funny you were saying about that whole the whole morality of Dexter and and what I really enjoyed was the fact that he it was kind of a. It was never really. I feel like it was never really decided upon whether the character was um, was right to be doing what he he was doing. Like whether that whether he really believed that he was a good force in the world, or if he was just using the code as an excuse to fulfill those urges, like you were talking about. So I yeah I really I really liked the ending, and I was surprised when I saw it because of that. And then when the revival happened. Um, I was really blown away, and I thought that like uh, the sort of shift in tone and and shift in setting and 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 all of that um, improved it. To be honest, I think like the the the, the Dexter New Blood, the, the the most recent season was it's probably one of my favorite seasons of television. And um, I hear uh, I hear it's great. Yeah, no, it's definitely it has like it, it's. I mean, it might be because it, of the I don't know if it's shot on digital now or what, but it, it reminded me a lot of Breaking Bad. Um, and oh, visually really? that yeah that style and. And kind of like the, the the not the theme so much, but the the setting especially. There's that towards the end of Breaking Bad. There's that. Um, have you seen Breaking Bad before? I go and yes. spoil everything. Yeah. Yes. So where um where Walt obviously like takes on a new identity and moves to um I can't remember if it's Alaska or somewhere somewhere cold anyway. And it's very similar with Dexter because that's what what he's done. He's taken a new name and he he he's kind of like upstate New York or or somewhere a bit colder in the winters. Wait a minute. Um, and it felt like that. Mm. Walt moved out of New Mexico? Yeah, towards the end of the series of Breaking Bad. He did? 
Yeah, and then he came back like right at the end. The, the, the finale was him coming back to Albuquerque. Oh, that's to sort of, right. That's yeah. right. He was sort of on the lamb. Yeah, mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I remember that now. Yeah. So it okay. gave me vibes of that a lot. And then the finale, like, I, I, re- I really, really enjoyed. I, I kind of like went online to, to, to see what people made of it and they hated it for the opposite reason that they hated the original for. And I'm just like, I don't think you can please some people, <laughs> to be honest. And I, I do think it might, I don't know. I did, I'm, I'm like, totally armchair psychologing at psychologist in this but um it almost seems like there's a group of people on the internet especially who like feel like dexter is the protagonist of the show but he's not necessarily a good person you know by that metric just because he's a protagonist doesn't mean he is the he is the the good in the show right. in the same in the same way that breaking bad had walt because even though he started off as the good protagonist he ended up becoming the bad protagonist you know he was the antagonist of by the end of, of that series um and i i do wonder whether some people can't can't disconnect from from that whole aspect of it and they see dexter as being like a moral positive force in the world and i don't know this is purely based on some of the comments i read and after after like an hour i was like you know what I, there's no point in me getting stuck into these discussions because I liked it and I need to let go of stuff like that. Mm. But yeah, so that's a really long-winded like a uh, 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 pivot off of off of the interview there. But it was it, it, it it's funny because it, I did I did think about the ending of Lost in in a similar way. But I think that the ending of Lost over time has become a bit more appreciated than maybe the end of Dexter was. Um, you're you're really one of only like two or three people that has expressed a. Uh an affinity for the ending of lost really yeah mostly yeah. i get i get you know people not liking it at all yeah I, I i'm not really surprised like i know that there was i don't know like for for me like i i felt that the answers to the big mysteries were all there and maybe they weren't explicitly explained uh they were a bit subtle but maybe it might also be because i was such a big fan that i would watch those episodes over and over and i feel like i got my satisfaction and understanding from those things and then the the because the ending is mainly based on the, the the sort of characters' resolutions and their and their lives, I feel I don't know, but I do think again going off of like the internet, like the the, the tide seems to be turning a bit on the end of Lost, and I think I was speaking to a friend the other day who who binged it all during um during the first like lockdowns, and she said that she felt that um watching it in quick succession over a short period of time helped un- like appreciate the ending a bit more because it wasn't like she was stuck in you know theorizing for a year or whatever until the new season started but uh another one of my friends said the other day that actually the ending of lost uh, purely going by like imdb metrics but it has like a it's it has a really positive score at the moment so i, I don't know if if maybe people are coming around on it or maybe it's just a it's been long enough that there are new audiences uh there to watch it and and sort of imp- see it in a different light i mean i did see the ending so it's pretty crazy that i only saw a few episodes during the run of the show and actually mm-hmm. watched the entire ending um and and so take take my thoughts with a grain of salt because sure. um i don't necessarily know how it fits into the context but i thought it was great yeah. i loved it yeah. yeah well it's interesting to hear that then if, if that's if that was your experience for it because like yeah i think i i do like i don't know how much of it is just you know i i don't want to be that person who's like well my opinion is right but i also kind of feel like well maybe maybe there's a reason that people were dissatisfied with it for certain reasons they're expecting something or i don't know about you but whenever i watch or read or anything sort of consume any sort of entertainment music or film or whatever i i, I try and 
approach it with no expectations at all even if it's something that i think i'm going to love i will go into it and be like let's just see how it is and i'm I'd say 95% of the time I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with everything I watch. I don't know if that means that I'm just not being critical enough, but I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, the world is full of critics and it's, it's a very difficult thing to write a show with the number of characters that are in Lost, the number of storylines, the transitions going backwards, forwards, sideways, all, all, all the timelines that they have are tremendously complex. And to tie it all together, you know, after six years in a, in a uh, six years, right? It had a six yeah. year run. Yeah. In a, in a finale um, is a, a monumentally difficult task. So I would encourage all those critics out there to take the critic hat off, get behind their computer and try to write something better. Absolutely. <laughs> and that can only be a good thing as well. More, more creativity in the world, you know? I doubt that they can do it. That's why they're criticizing yeah. <laughs> very true cool well um i know you spoke earlier about um sort of your the way that you got into acting and you were saying how film your sort of appreciation for film came a bit later but do you have like um like specific movies or tv shows that you would like list among your personal favorites um yeah i, I tend to like dad films because i didn't have a dad growing up or my father experience is extremely complicated uh and um and so I've always yearned for a, a male, older male presence in my life as a guide and as a rock, because um, I never had that. So it's like certain movies like Sling Blade. Did you ever see Sling Blade? I haven't, no. Oh, my God. You have to see Sling Blade. I'm now uh, adding it to my, my watch list. because what, I, I, Yeah, go on. It's what put Billy Bob Thornton on the map. It made him famous. He wrote it. And, okay, he, cool. and he played the character. It's a very extreme character, um, you'll see. But the story really is about is about a boy who um, is is trapped in a in a home life uh, that could potentially turn him into something awful um, um, by forcing him to do something bad, or it could end him. Mm -hmm. um, Unfortunately, Dwight Yoakam plays his his stepdad, his drunk, drunk, unpredictable, violent stepfather, and uh, and he's too nice to really pull it off. So you don't mm -hmm. get the you don't get the threat that you really think has to be there to justify what Carl Billy Bob Thornton's character has to do. But that's one of my favorite movies. Um, I also I, I love movies um, like Field of Dreams that have that father element where there's an unresolved there's an unresolved um, problem between a parent and their son. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, there's a message about following your inner voice, no matter how crazy it is. Um, I love that kind of independence, you know, that, that, uh, that, that a story like that, that a story like that makes okay through the narrative, right? Cause he mm -hmm. does a crazy thing. I don't know if you've seen it. He builds a, he builds a, he builds a uh, a baseball field in the middle of like Iowa in a cornfield, mm -hmm. um, and he just he knows something's gonna happen. It's a very magical movie, but uh, sure. I, I've been meaning to watch it for a while, uh, so I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, those those types of movies are are really I, I really like um, TV. I'm a horror fan. I'm a horror mm -hmm. fan too. So like, <laughs> which may seem nihilistic and anti-life but there's 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 uh, horror movies that i i can really appreciate um 
too. Uh, are you a horror fan? Uh, I wouldn't describe myself as a horror fan, but I do enjoy watching, and I feel like I've seen all of the the sort of bigger bigger ones, the more like you know famous ones, and some of the smaller ones as well. What what kind of things do you really enjoy in horror? Like, what would you what would you say? Well, for me, it's got it's got to be psychological horror um, more than you know um, a mon- more than a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's people placed in dire circumstances and and seeing how the hero sorts it out, sure. you know, truly life and death uh, situation. Or sometimes they have great morals to them, like uh, like there's this Korean horror film called I Saw the Devil Okay. that is great. Um, and the main actor in it is like the Marlon Brando of Korea. But the story, mm-hmm. is, the story is about a, a serial killer, but it's really about revenge and how revenge can turn you into the monster you're you're trying to catch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a cool sort of ethic to that. Um, so um, I, I like I like that because of the the idea behind it. Or you know, the classic like The Exorcist is is great because it's mm-hmm. the story itself is about faith and the power of faith over reason. Uh, of course, I'm the opposite. I believe in reason over faith, but I think mm-hmm. I think the dramatization of that of that premise is really strong in that movie. And and I like horror movies that have a strong premise like that, a human premise sure. that it that it hangs all the supernatural action off of. TV shows, um, there's just so much good TV now. Mm. Um, there's just so much good TV. Uh, you know, like the night of is is a great a great um, single single run limited run series mm-hmm. on HBO that I loved. Fleabag, The Russian Doll, Justified. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much good stuff, and I like them all for very very different, sometimes contradictory reasons. But uh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I mean, if you know Sherlock, I love Sherlock. Um, uh, Fargo. Fargo. It, oh, that's probably my favorite one of the ones you've listed that I've seen. Fargo's like right up there for me. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's great. Um, and, and I do a, I do a series called TV Talk on this uh, podcast where we talk about TV shows like Fargo. We just did mm-hmm. Fargo actually, and um, we talk about it from a philosophical point of view. And I was uh, I was the only one defending Fargo. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I will. I will. Um, I'll have to check that out actually because that sounds right up my alley. Like I love that kind of stuff, um, and I really like getting into the the, the sort of um, the nitty gritty of, uh, of of especially of TV. Like I feel like TV is so fascinating because maybe it's because like I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I always always felt like growing up like tv was in my head for whatever reason was almost like a lesser art form than than film and i don't know if it's because like 15 years ago or so the the tides start to turn and a lot of the movie writers went to tv and again breaking bad and and lost and sopranos and the wire and stuff it started to become a bit more legitimate and nowadays it's just like you can probably find better stuff on tv if you're looking for for stuff with meaning than you can at the movie as much as i like i love big blockbustery mainstream stuff i do like the the quieter smaller stuff even like like Fargo I guess that's not the perfect example but it's kind of more human dramas and 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 that kind of thing. Well, I mean, it, you know, the accent in Fargo it would be an accent to you, a dialect to me is 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 part of the art that makes it seem a little bit uh, more than human. But mm. all the things that those that that, uh, 
Nygaard, Lester Nygaard experiences, I think are things that people can relate to. I mean, um, you know, being so passive and, and oppressed and pushed down and, and, um, and, and then being born. <laughs> I mean, he, mm. does, he does these terrible things, but it's like he needed it in the alchemy of his life to become a, a self-assertive human being. Um, mm. He's just so sleazy. It, it eventually un, undoes him in the end. But uh, there's there's human things even in shows like that, and uh, that seem to be larger larger than life. Yeah, um, I, I feel like Fargo is a really interesting one as well because like it's been a while since I watched like I've only watched it through once, and I, I kind of like I watched season four like recently, so that's the one that's freshest in my mind. But I feel like every season has a theme of kind of like human. I guess not. Um, Jealousy is not the right word. Uh, human greed, I suppose. Yeah, that seems to be like the recurring theme, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. Um, I'm, we we were trying to come up with the theme of the first uh, season, and I'm not sure that we ever achieved it. You'll have to watch the show and tell me if we ever found it, because off mm. the top of my head, I can't think of, I can't think of it. I know the second season they're very much trying to equate the the Kansas City mob and the and the Fargo mob as a hostile mm -hmm. business takeover <laughs> and so um that's sort of an in interesting analogy to explore but look I think TV got good because the screens got big the screens mm -hmm. got big and um that means like movies you know you you see a lot more there's you can't hide anything so you need those cinematic actors and those cinematic directors now to fill up that screen with real content mm -hmm. uh, something that a plain you know old-fashioned television actor you know couldn't do you know you yeah. think the, the characters in brady bunch could could pull off the subtlety of a, of a fargo or yeah. <laughs> or a wire or a sopranos no way, man. You need you need a film actor, or, you know, somebody who's got chops to mm. be able to do that because you're watching it at home on a 70 inch screen, and and the and the stuff is only going to get bigger. Yeah, you know, and the crossover is only that now the cross the crossover is indifferent, right? Everybody's yeah. everybody's doing it. Well, that's the thing about streaming, isn't it? Like, it's core, obviously, film and TV on on a streaming service, like exclusively on a streaming service. So, kind of the same thing obviously sorry they're, they're different because they're two different things but when you're watching them you're sitting at home and it's premiering at home and you're doing the same going through the same sort of physical process to watch that at home so yeah it's kind of an interesting how do you feel about the whole uh, like streaming streaming part of the the industry coming in i love it maybe i'm unpopular for that i, I love the i love the progress you know it's 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 broken up studio monopolies you know now studios now stream, you know, places, um, content providers like Netflix and Amazon are becoming studios in their own right. Produce hmm. have been producing content for a while, and that's YouTube. I mean, there's so much out there. There's so much opportunity for people to to make their voices heard. That wasn't possible before. Yeah, you know, it wasn't possible 20 years ago to make a film on an iPhone and have that film, you know, be screened at Sundance yeah. and and win awards. Uh, it, it wasn't possible for, you know, lots of actors to work because mm. the, the content was so small, they'd bottleneck into the into the studios. And now um, now there's not really that that same kind of phenomenon. Now there's lots of stuff for us to do. 
There's lots of places to be employed now. And it's only going to get better if we allow it. Uh-huh. If we allow it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I've, I've just actually entered the film and TV industry in the past year. Um, I'm, I work in the sound department and um, I, I recently worked on um, a, a, a Disney, it's a Disney feature, but it's kind of, it's for Hulu. So it's like, it's not a, a stereotypical Disney in the same way that Lost was like Disney, but it wasn't what you think of when you hear the word Disney. Right. Um, and, you know, the set was, w- w- was fairly big, but it was still like a lower budget project for, for Disney. And I was thinking if this was even 10 years ago, I wouldn't be able to get on this film, like, you know, six months out of university and it's, and, and manage it, you know, I, m- I might be completely overwhelmed by it, but because of the fact that I'm like, okay, did, did they, they're shooting this in my city that I live in, which is which has a lot of um like TV shooting around here at the moment. But in terms of feature films, not as much. But yeah, it's just it's provided me with that, and it's something that I think about a lot. Like how how grateful I am to actually enter the industry at this point. Uh, and for a while, I was a bit like, because I'm I'm 30 years old now, so I I I, I didn't say it, wouldn't say I left it a bit late, but I figured it out a bit later about what I wanted to do. Um, that that's. That's okay. That's the that's the best thing in the world. Ibsen wrote his best plays in his sixties. Strindberg didn't yeah. start painting till the seventies. Ingalls wrote her books on the prairie, Little House in the Prairie, in her seventies. Sure. Hey man, I love it. I love I love these second and third chapters of our life where we finally figure it out. I mean, Absolutely. I haven't I haven't figured it out uh, fully, but I figured it out mostly now at fifty six. I think I finally know what I want to do. So that's good. Yeah, no, it feels like society as a whole is kind of like putting less pressure on people, especially when they're younger, to figure out what what you know what they want to do. I, I was talking to one of my my friends about this earlier, and like when I was sixteen, like I didn't care about what I was going to do. I didn't. It's not even like I I actively like was apathetic towards what I wanted to do. It was more that I just couldn't. I, my brain was too full of other things because I was sixteen. And I didn't, you know, all I was worried about was where I was going to be, not what I was actually doing and whether I was going to enjoy it. But now, you know, ten years later, well. 15 years later almost it's uh it, it did it did take me you know till my mid-20s or something to of all those bits to kind of fall into place and there's so many things that wouldn't be the way they were if i hadn't if i tried to do that like when i was 18 or whatever you know sure i i thought i thought i could be wrong but i thought there was a lot more pressure on kids today to do the school thing to to mm. you know you know to get ahead get ahead get ahead get ahead um Sure. Well, I mean, I'm definitely talking about that from my, from my experience. Like, I guess I, I don't like none of my friends really have kids or anything. So I don't really know what that aspect for, but from my, like my experience, like, I think I didn't feel too pressured to be figuring it out. My parents always said to me, like, as long as you're happy, we don't really care what you, what you're Well, doing. that's nice. That's yeah. good. I think my, my mom was sort of the same way, but you know, they had a, a scandal here in the States where some prominent people, uh, actresses, an actress or two, um, got, got, uh, got prosecuted for cheating on entrance exams for their children so they could send children to prestigious universities and it became Mm -hmm. uh, it was a real scam like there's a it was a network of people that were doing this so that their kids could get into ivy league schools so that's ambition i mean that's 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 the wrong that's the Macbeth kind of ambition that that does you in yeah, sorry, to, to move on to our next question. Um, so you've obviously worked with some quite uh, notable and incredible directors not to, like David Lynch and, and the Coen brothers, but are there any specific directors or maybe other actors that, that you'd like to work with in future? Any ones that you're, you know, you've seen something you're like, I would love to, to share a scene with that person. Oh, I mean, <laughs> there's so many. There's so many good actors out there now. I mean, 
Uh, I love Andrew Garfield. I just watched Tick, Tick, Boom. I don't know if you've seen that, but... I, I've been meaning to, but uh, yeah. So good. See, that's a great movie. That's a great movie because it's about the grit of a real artist, right? People, people don't understand how difficult the artist's aspiring artist's life can be mm-hmm. and how much how much strength and durability it takes uh, and how thick a skin you have to have to sustain yourself. You really have to be self-sustained as, as an aspiring artist. And that's a story about somebody who just keeps going. Um, of course, he was taken, you know, too early from us as the, that the character, the real life person that he played was, yeah. ta- was taken in his mid thirties, um, way too young, but he played it with such heart and he was so good, such command of his instrument. You know, I'd love to work with him. I've loved him in everything I've seen him in. Mm. Um, yeah, he does seem like one of those guys who's kind of, I wouldn't say he's the next big thing, but he's the next, I feel like he's, if everyone's kind of waking up to how, how amazing he, he is, he can be as an actor. He's, he, he's, he's great because he wears it all on his sleeve. Uh, and I don't mean that in like, as uh, he's obvious. I mean that as his heart is, he, he leads with his heart when he acts and it's a beautiful thing to watch. He's open and he's and vulnerable and susceptible, movable. Um, and you, you see that you see it because it's happening because that's the type of person he is. So I'd love to work with him. Um, I mean, I, there's just too many to mention. I just mentioned yeah. him because Andrew Duffield's a good answer, <laughs> I, but I mentioned him because I just saw him like three days ago and something. And so it's on my mind, but, I mean, there's so many good actors out there. It's an honor for me to work with any of them. Mm. And so many good directors out there and so many good directors that are just coming up that I, whom I don't really know yet by name, um, who are just so talented, um, that I'd love to work with. So, yeah. There's always great people. Did you, um, I don't know if this will be your speed, but did you see the most recent Spider-Man movie? It is my speed. I haven't seen the most recent one. Okay. Is that the one that crosses times? I saw the cartoon version that had the time crossing stuff. Sure. Yeah, it, that's the one you're thinking of. Yeah. Okay. I won't talk about it then. I don't want to ruin anything for you, but it's. Uh, but that's yeah. the one where Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland all come together and. Sing. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I, I, I feel this. I mean, this, this interview, I probably won't be going out until like midsummer because we've just started our season five, and I kind of want to put the interview out towards your episode. Um, so this won't be too much of a spoiler now, and I won't I won't spoil anything other than what you've just said. But it's funny because Tobey Maguire was like you know the original cinematic Spider Man. Tom Holland is the current cinematic Spider Man. Andrew Garfield's kind of like the the forgotten like middle child Spider Man. But and I I didn't really like his movies that that much. I I, I enjoyed him. I, I didn't really like the films that he did as Spider Man. But it's almost universally agreed that he was by far the standout in the, in of the three Spider-Men in the, in that movie. So I, gr- I reckon when you, when you do see it, you'll probably have a great time with his performance because he's so genuine. Um, I loved, I didn't see his second, he did two Spider-Man films, right? Yeah, he did two. Yeah. I saw the first one. Um, and I thought he was, he was so good. There was so much dimension to his character. It was the art, it was his origin story. So, was, so, um, and you'd see, I had, I had just seen the origin story of, um, uh, uh, Toby's character mm-hmm. a- and side by side, it was, it was sort of like, it was sort of like this, uh, back in the nineties, um, they did a production of streetcar named desire that they filmed 
and they put it on TV. And the cast was uh, uh, Alec Baldwin, and Stanley um, Kowalski, and uh, um, Jessica Lange. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, strong actors. And I, I would watch I would watch a scene and it would go to commercial and then I'd put in Ilya Kazan's version with Marlon Brando and Vivian Lee. And there was no comparison between the two. It was like mm. it was like um, it was like watching uh, high school actors versus, you know, geniuses at, at work. And I, I feel sort of the same way with the, Toby's origin story and Andrew's origin story where it was mm-hmm. like one was so one was indicated the other was just deep it was mm-hmm. so heartfelt there was andrew just pulled me in to his heart and and gripped me there and i couldn't get away the yeah. entire movie so i don't know this is like an this is a show about andrew garfield it's become... <laughs> yeah. i got to rebrand it man <laughs> <laughs> so um i mean you touched on this a little bit at the start but uh what you're currently working on but what what sort of things do you have in the pipeline um yeah right now it's class of 09 i finished that at the end of the month and then i have to go overseas hopefully with my dog uh and i i work in paris i'm going to do a convention in london i think i'm supposed to do one in london oh cool at the end of february <coughs> and um and then i have another convention called the people con in paris and i'm going to teach in paris for the next month and probably work on some plays uh, nice. at our theater company, my wife has established an acting school there. Um, and, um, and so that we teach there, uh, uh you know, like six months out of the year mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're going to try to put up some plays there as well. So I think the play on the docket for us to work on is a play by John Patrick Shanley called doubt, mm-hmm. um, which was made into a movie with Philip, the great Philip Seymour Hoffman, whom I yeah. love and uh, of course Meryl Streep um so we're gonna we're gonna try our hand at that see how that goes and uh, that's it for now for now I'm just uh I'm auditioning for a few things and let's see if anything sticks I got I did I did get offered something but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it because it it interferes with my my uh, work in Paris so um I see yeah, but it, it, it's a horror movie actually that oh, really? has an interesting little little twist, and it's written by a friend of mine who's a very good writer. Um, so we'll see if that works out. Maybe cool, that'll yeah. work Fingers out. Fingers crossed for that. Uh, yeah, in the spirit of the podcast, uh, what is your favorite drink, alcoholic or otherwise? Um, I like vanilla milkshakes. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a. Uh... That's a, a strong, strong answer. I think uh, I, I, one of the other guys I spoke to from the show just said, "I don't want to be boring, but water, water. I just drink water all the time." And and I was like, "That's. I mean, it's good. It's hydrating. It's really good for you. So why not?" Yeah, sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I hope you have a, a really great rest of your week. Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you, and I hope to see you uh, across the pond. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. Peace. Thanks, man. Peace.